because the great God of heaven and earth, the sovereign of the universe, who stooped down in mercy and love to redeem a fallen race. We thank you for this wonderful story of the gospel. We thank you for the fact that you were willing to save those who are so unlovely and help the message of the cross and the message of Christmas resound in our hearts during this month and throughout the entire year. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Whenever surveys are done with regard to what is significant for you during Christmas, what is to you the most meaningful thing apart the season, they all seem to come back with the same answers. The number one answer is always presence. It might be receiving, it might be giving, but presence is always number one on the list. Number two is to have a Christmas tree. Number three is to attend Christmas parties. Number four is to go to church. But I, I fear it's more the idea of the nostalgic, traditional, warm feeling that one feels singing those old carols from their childhood in the midst of the night before Christmas. The fifth thing is to bake Christmas cookies. It's not until the sixth thing that Jesus shows up on the list. About 30% of the people believe that the birth of Jesus makes the holiday important. That was me when I was 10 years old. <laughs> Except for the parties. I didn't go to the parties, but I would put baking Christmas cookies near the top. But that shouldn't come from the heart of someone who's grown up. It seems like many people desire to have a Christless Christmas, but that's impossible because the meaning of Christmas, the essence of Advent, is summarized in this one word, Emmanuel, which means, everyone, God with us. That's the meaning of Christmas. And there are two amazing stories in the Bible where this name comes up. The first one is Isaiah chapter 7. So let me encourage you to turn to Isaiah 7. If you have your Bible, if you don't use a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, if you don't own a Bible, take that home as a Christmas gift. Isaiah chapter 7. And it's important for us to understand the context in which our key verse is placed. So we begin reading verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 7. When Ahaz son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. So at this point, we understand that war had broken out between Israel and Judah. Israel refers to the ten northern tribes, and Judah refers to the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. The ten northern tribes are sometimes called Ephraim by their largest tribe's name, and the southern uh, confederacy by Judah, the largest tribe in the south. So Israel, the northern tribes, make a confederacy with the king of Syria, and together they decide to make war on Judah, 
to fight against Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, as it says in verse 1. Now, house of David, verse 2, referring to Judah. Now, the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz, the king, and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. King Ahaz was frightened. Do you know King Ahaz? You might know him better by his wife Jezebel. Ahaz was a wicked king, following in the ways of the wicked kings of the north, even though he was in the more faithful land of the south. Ahaz had introduced Baal worship along with Jezebel, and they had reason to be afraid, thinking that this could be divine judgment upon their wicked ways. But Ahaz's father, his father was King Jotham, mentioned in verse 1, and he was a good king, a godly king. Many under his rule returned and followed the Lord. And they prayed for God to deliver the land of Judah. And now those faithful prayers given by a king and his people long gone by are about to be answered. Verse 3, then the Lord said to Isaiah, the writer of this prophecy, go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub. And by the way, Shear Jashub is a name that means the remnant will return. The remnant shall return. So there is some symbolism in Isaiah's son's name. And Isaiah is to go with his son to meet King Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field and say to him, Be careful. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. I love that imagery. Not only do you have the beautiful imagery of fear being swayed like trees in the wind, but now these two kings coming against Judah are like matchsticks, burning and soon to be blown out. Don't be afraid. Because of them, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and, and of the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let's invade Judah. Let's tear them, tear them apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Pause. And then the next word, yet or but. This is what the Sovereign Lord said. Learn from this, my friend, that whatever you hear kings of the earth saying are nothing compared to the sovereign word of God. Listen to the news at night and then say, but these are firebrands soon to be out, but the Sovereign Lord does whatever he pleases. He sits on his throne. And this is what the Sovereign Lord says, verse 7. It will not take place. It ain't going to happen, which is a modern paraphrase. For the head of Aram is Damascus, the capital city. And the head of Damascus is only Rezin, a human king, a human being with limited power, only Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim, that the tribes of the north 
will be too shattered to be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, their capital city. And the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son, just a frail human king. So get this, my people. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Underscore that phrase. So well stated in the NIV translation. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz through Isaiah. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But King Ahaz said, I will not. I will not put the Lord God to the test. And I say, when did this guy get a conscience? He's been sinning, sinning against God for, for years and years. Now, either this is true humility brought upon him in the moment of fear, or it is feigned humility, pious talk that comes from a heart that believes the opposite. Whatever it is, the prophet said, ask for a sign, and the king said, no, I will not abide by the word of God. Verse 13, then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, that is Judah and the king of it, Ahaz. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? If you won't get a sign, then I'll give one to you. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Now, what we need to understand from this amazing story is that there was an immediate significance of the sign for that period in time, 734 B.C. You and I have the New Testament ringing in our ears, and we're thinking of something else when we read these words. But put yourself back 700 years before the coming of Christ, and what does this verse mean in a very immediate sense and I think it's pretty amazing the first thing you need to understand is is there were difficult problems in that day we read about them the city was besieged by two warring nations more powerful than Judah and it looked like they were going to be defeated but God came and gave his word through the prophet Isaiah this isn't going to happen so now you need to trust God's word. You need to simply believe what God says. Embrace his promise. Follow his commands. And then there is a sign that is given in verse 14. And it is connected with the name Emmanuel, which is a sign of the presence of God. Whatever the sign is, it is to encourage Judah that God is on their side. They don't deserve it. But as it says in the end of verse 1, these nations will not overpower them. What they plan will not take place, verse 7. It will not happen, declares the Lord. And the sign says God is on your side. So what is the sign? A virgin. Well, it's interesting that the Hebrew word for virgin is the word Alma, used about nine times in the Old Testament. 
And it refers to a woman who is not married, but more specifically to a maiden who is still chaste and unmarried. The uh, English Standard Version Study Bible says that this generally refers to a woman indeed who is a virgin because she has never been with a man. Warren Worsby, a very faithful Bible commentator, says, this sign refers to a woman who was at that time a virgin, but she would get married, conceive, and bear a son who would take the title Emmanuel. Now, as you look at this, it's rather confusing because we're thinking of a second virgin birth, and that's not really what it's stating. I think, again, Warren Worsby is right on this when he said, likely the virgin refers to Isaiah's second wife, his first wife having died when she bore Shear Jashub. So at that point, when the sign was given, Isaiah's second wife was a virgin, but she would have a second son, and he would have that title, Emmanuel. I think the key to all of this is found in chapter 8 of Isaiah and verse 18 where Isaiah says, here am I, and the children the Lord has given me, we are signs. We are symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. So the sign was given somewhere around 734 B.C. By 722, Israel had been taken away into the Assyrian captivity. And by 669 B.C., that kingdom no longer existed, fulfilling the exact prophecy given in verse 8. Within 65 years, these smoldering brands will be gone. How temporary is man? How everlasting is God? And so the sign was given to encourage them that when Isaiah would remarry his wife who was a virgin, now will have a son, and that son too will be a sign, just like the first son was. The remnant shall return. This son is basically saying, God is on our side. Now, I can't be overly dramatic or uh, dogmatic on this point, that this is exactly what is being said. There is some debate over this, but it seems to fit the context better than anything else. And there was some significance for the sign in that day. Rejected by many. Received by some. Because it takes faith to stand. Faith in God's word. Now let's jump into the future from that point. Going into the future, hundreds of years, to the wonderful gospel according to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and here is the story of the birth of Christ, and here is the ultimate significance of the prophecy of Isaiah. You say, where do you get uh, the authority to talk about immediate and ultimate significance in prophecy? Well, many of the prophecies of Isaiah and the other prophets had immediate significance, and especially when they're tied to the Messiah, would be fulfilled in greater ways when Christ would come. An example, a clear example, is Hosea 11 and verse 1. Out of Egypt I've called my son, said the prophet. 
Everyone knew exactly what that meant. The Hebrew nation was born in the bondage of the Egyptians and was taken out by the exodus, the powerful and mighty hand of God. But it was out of Egypt that I've called my son, the nation of Israel. However, when you get to the New Testament in chapter 2, that verse is applied to Jesus. We wouldn't have known it had it not been for the revelation that Matthew gave us. Jesus and his family fled to Egypt for protection. And then when the king was gone, was dead, they came back so that the prophet, his prophecy was fulfilled out of Egypt. I've called my son. Now, you and I don't have the authority to just take any Old Testament prophet and make it say whatever we want it to say. But when it's revealed in the New Testament that this is the significance of the Old Testament, that we embrace. For the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. You ever heard that? The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself, which means your reading in the Scripture needs to be broad. It needs to be exhaustive. You need to read all of the Holy Word of God because it's all profitable. And the more you understand the entire message, you'll be able to interpret the smaller portions of Scripture found in the message. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. The ultimate significance of the sign is going to be Jesus. Now notice, it starts out with difficult problems too. Not a city besieged, but a husband greatly disappointed or a father, husband-to-be. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about, Matthew 1.18. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. The word found there means to discover. And Joseph is the one who discovered this situation, although he did not know at that time that the Holy Spirit was involved. Verse 19, because Joseph, discovering that his proposed wife, the woman he was engaged to, was now pregnant, but yet loving her and being a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. That is a divorce ceremony in the town hall by the temple with all the leaders there and all the families there and announce what Mary had done to her disgrace and to the shame of her whole family. No, he had to divorce her, he thought, but he would do it quietly to protect her as much as he could. Verse 20, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you, as the legal father, not biological father, are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew in 200 years before Jesus came. It was translated into Greek. The Hebrew word Alma, which they use translated into young woman or virgin in the book of Isaiah, 
is now being translated by a Greek word, parthenos, which can only mean a virgin. 200 years before Jesus is born, the scholars determine the right meaning of that Old Testament word and used a specific term. They understood what Isaiah was getting at. They understood the meaning of the sign, a true virgin. And Matthew, 200 years later, uses that translation, quotes that verse. Because the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is significant. Notice that what is being said in verse 22 to Joseph is this is God's word. Simply trust him. Here is the word of God taken from Isaiah. And it is true. It had partial significance then, but full significance now because Jesus has come. And the miracle of a virgin birth is at the heart of the gospel. You say, I have a problem with miracles. Then you have a problem with God. Because think of it. If God is infinite, can he not do whatever he chooses to do? And if you and I are finite, is it possible that what he chooses to do is beyond our ability to reason? Not against reason, but beyond it? Of course. You and I are puny when it comes to intellectual prowess. You might say, well, pastor, I'm smarter than you. That may be. But you are still far below the infinite God. Yes, but I know scientists with amazing intellects, when they speak, no one can understand them. The greatest intellect in the world is puny compared with the infinite God. And until you acknowledge that, there's no hope. There's really no hope if you think you're sufficient, if, if you think you can understand everything. Oh, I embrace the miracle because I believe in God. And I believe this book is his word. And it's true. And it's accurate. And it's the heart, at the heart of Christmas. Simply trust him. And so now we have a sign of his presence, just like it was in Isaiah. But it's now not the presence of God merely on our side, but it's the presence of God in human flesh. James Orr wrote, Through a woman sin entered the race, by the seed of the woman salvation will come to the race, and the serpent's head will be bruised. The serpent's head will be crushed, but the seed of the woman will prevail. One of my favorite poems for Advent season is one written by Edward Caswell. It is my sweetest comfort, Lord, and will forever be to muse upon the gracious truth of thy humanity. O joy, there sitteth in our flesh upon a throne of light, one of a human mother born in perfect Godhead bright. Forever God Forever man, my Jesus shall endure. And fixed on him, my hope remains eternally secure. Forever God, forever man. The math doesn't make any sense. God plus man equals the God-man, Jesus. One plus one equals one. 
But that's the story of Christmas. That's the meaning and the heart of Christmas. And in this sign, we should rejoice. For not only is God with us in the person of Christ, but God is for us. He's on our side. He didn't come to condemn. We were condemned already. He came to save. Born in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us who are under the law that we might receive full adoptive rights as sons. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to redeem. Jim Elliott wrote in his journal, Emmanuel, Oh, the glory of God who can come so close to those he he loves. Think of it, my soul, the almighty Jehovah, all of him, in swaddling clothes. The wise God, a weak babe in a manger of straw. And then he turns to prayer, O Jesus Emmanuel, how grateful I am that you are no less with me in common places than in the more elevated ones. And you who stoop to babyhood in a stable will not deter from stooping to abide in this poor, dark, stable heart like mine. God is with us. If you need a more theological definition of the virgin birth, I think J. Oliver Buswell gives us one of the best when he says the virgin birth was a special miracle wrought by the third person of the Trinity, whereby the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, took to himself a genuine, complete human nature, was born as a man without losing in any way his complete divine nature. The Holy Spirit ushers in the Son of God according to the eternal promise and plan of the sovereign heavenly Father. And that is Christmas. Joni Yoder, who writes for Our Daily Bread years ago in the middle of December, gave birth to a premature but much-wanted baby boy. The boy struggled for life and so was medevaced to a hospital far away. The family got in a car and began to drive to this hospital, but the baby died in transit. And all that Joni could think of was the baby died all alone, and we should have been there. She knew that Christmas was going to be grievous and not happy. But as she began to ponder the passages in Luke chapter 2 and think about Mary's situation, who also gave birth to a son much wanted, but a son who was born to die way too early, her happiness began to increase. Her unhappiness diminished as she thought about Mary and the true meaning of Christmas. And she began to see it. And she wrote these amazing words, one of my favorite quotes for the Advent season. Christmas does not have to be merry to be meaningful. I hope your Christmas is, but it doesn't have to be merry to be meaningful. All we need is Emmanuel. We simply need Jesus. Turn from our sin and trust him. We're in difficult times. We're troubled by our sin and condemned by it. But God in love sent his son to redeem us and by faith believe his word. 
believe his son, receive his son. And not only will Christmas be meaningful to you all of life, for you will have Emmanuel with you. Great words of Christmas, virgin and Emmanuel. Jesus, rejected by many, received by some. I hope that's true of you. Let's pray. Lord, as we start out this Advent season and our hearts reflect to this ancient prophecy, fulfilled at the time, but completely fulfilled in the fullness of time when Jesus was born. And we living post-birth of Christ, post-death of Christ, post-resurrection, have the full story given to us in the pages of the New Covenant, the New Testament. And we can read and rejoice. And in the midst of our struggles, remember that God is with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn in your hymnal to hymn number 124 and let's stand together. Hymn 124. Let's sing.